morning, everyone. Welcome to church on this glorious Easter Sunday. Cold outside, isn't it? Um, but nice and cosy in here. Welcome to all who are joining us online as well. Um, I'm glad that you're with us and hope you can stay all the way through um, and not be too distracted by the kettle if you're at home. Uh, we don't have that luxury here. <laughs> but it's great to be together on Easter Sunday. Um, I don't know, did anybody catch the, the sunrise reflection this morning? And I'm not talking about the actual sun, I'm talking about... So for those of you who were up early enough, it was great just to uh, think through just some of the, the kind of aspects of resurrection. Um, that's one of the great things of Easter Sunday is that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that we have died to our old life, the, the old sinful life, and that we've been raised into this new life, this life in Christ. So there's a sense in which we enjoy the resurrection, even in the here and now. Um, but we look forward to a time where we'll see Jesus face to face. Because he lives, you also shall live. And that's just an incredible encouragement. So if it encourages you, I hope it does. It certainly encourages me, because even when the chips are down and when life is rough, we know that God is that constant in our lives, that he never lets us down, but that he promises us a hope and a future in him. So we're going to pray, and uh, then we're going to worship God. Again, just to remind us that we're not really being allowed to sing at the moment, just because of the, the, the way that our, our kind of vapors come out when we sing. And uh, we know we love to sing in this church, um, but Sarah's going to lead us in worship. And uh, just feel free to, to just absorb the words, um, you know, sing, make, make music in your heart. You, you might not be able to sing out loud, but you can still sing in your heart. But we're going to pray that God inhabits the praises of his people anyway today. So let's just bow our heads in prayer this Easter Sunday. Father, we just thank you that you are here. Father, where two or three are gathered in your name, your word says that you are there right in the middle. And Father, we thank you that you are here right in the middle of all that is happening today. Lord, I thank you for everyone who is present, whether online or in person. Lord, we pray your blessing on every family, on every household. Lord, for those who need a touch in their body from you, Father, we just pray that you would come and that you bring healing and strength into their bodies. Father, for those who need a touch in their spirit or their mind, Father, we pray again that you would come and that you would just refresh us with your presence. And Lord, we ask that you would come and inhabit the praises of your people today. Lord, we are just so grateful that we can be called Christians. We're so grateful that we can be called sons and daughters of God. We thank you that we are in your family. And Lord, we just want to come and worship you this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus died for us, but Lord, we thank you that he rose again, that he is alive, that he is risen. And Father, we just celebrate that today. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive and because he lives, we also shall live. We thank you for that life and all its fullness that you promise us. May we live in it day by day. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Amen. Let's worship God.
just thank you for this incredible song. The truth that's in these words is just incredible. And Father, we thank you that we can say amen to these words, that Christ is our saviour. And Father, that he has plundered our heart from the grave. Father, we thank you that death has no victory over us. Father, as Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, where, O death, is your sting? And Father, we thank you for the resurrection life of Jesus. Father, we thank you that because he lives, we too shall live. Father, we thank you that there is life beyond the grave. And Father, there is hope. And Father, we look forward to that as well. But Father, as, as we live here and in this world, and Father, through all the trials and temptations that we have, and the way that we live our lives as Christians. Father, we pray that you would come and strengthen us. Father, may we know your presence in ever-increasing measure. Father, may we know uh, just what it is to walk in the freedom that you have for us. Father, your word says that if the Son has set you free, then you'll be free indeed. Father, may we walk in that freedom. May we know your presence and strength and your grace in everything that we do. Father, in everything that we uh, get involved in in our lives, Father, may we know your presence. And Lord, we just pray that your presence would continue just to intensify in this place today. Father, as we read from your word, as Father, as we uh, think a little bit more about this whole Sunday of, of Resurrection, Easter Sunday, and Father, as we consider the reality of the empty tomb, Father, we just pray, may our hearts and minds and spirits be open to just hear what your spirit would say to us today. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. So great to see everyone this morning. Welcome to everyone and uh, welcome online if you're just managing to join in with us today. So good that you're here today. Uh, just one or two things I want to announce today. Um, so the prayer meetings will be on this week as normal. Is that the same for the Monday one? No, the Monday one is not on, but the Wednesday one is on. But the following week, uh, the prayer meetings will be, will be off and just so that you're aware of that, and oxygen is off for a break for a couple of weeks as well. Uh, so it's great to see everyone today. Um, I just wanted to point this out. I've put some of these up the back on the table. Um, our Bible College, Assemblies of God Bible College, has been renamed to Missio Day. So you can maybe pick up a leaflet. If you're interested in studying more about the Bible, then uh, our Bible College has a number of courses, uh, part-time and full-time, that you can do, distance learning and in person. So if you're interested, there's a few leaflets up the back. If we run out of them, I can get you more. But it's just an incredible thing to, to really study God's Word and to know what He wants to say to us through it. You know, at the end of the day, it needs to be impacting our lives, doesn't it? It needs to be impacting the way that we do things, the way that we think and the way that we live. And that's a great way just to get involved in it. So if you're interested there, up the back. Um, before I speak today, uh, we're going to read from Scripture, and Bet's going to come and read for us today. So thank you, Bet, and uh, you can come and uh, and read for us today. He has risen, hallelujah. Acts 1, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
Now, First Corinthians. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, so some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Amen. You can tell that you're reading that with conviction, Bet. <laughs> you really believe in what you're reading about. <laughs> but that's, that was excellent. Thank you. And today, I just want to spend a few minutes thinking about this subject of the empty tomb. I tell you one thing, it's glad to see a non-empty church. Wow, we're, we're actually one seat away from being at capacity today. So uh, great to, to have everyone here today and, and welcome. And welcome to, to those who are joining online. We're looking forward to the day where the seats are back out, where we're all in here and where we're raising the roof off again. Um, it's not that far away, hopefully. Um, just to kind of keep an eye on things because um, the 26th of April seems to be a date where we'll be finding out a little bit more information about uh, how church is allowed to, to kind of gather and interact. So we'll keep everybody posted. Um, today just... <sighs> Just what a day. Um, I was up really, really early this morning to do the sunrise reflection. Um, I just put some notes from that, some headlights up on Facebook, uh, so you can have a, uh, a wee look at that. Not headlights, headlines. <laughs> and uh, I was actually sitting outside this morning doing the Easter reflection, and after half an hour, I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, think I need to get back in uh, and get another coffee and heat me up. And last week I spoke about uh, the fact that miracles don't always transpire and that life is tough sometimes and in the world, as Jesus says, we will have trouble. But there's one thing that we know, regardless of what happens in life, the resurrection gives us hope. Hebrews chapter 16, verses 19 to 20 say this, and I'm a boys' brigade boy, so uh, this resonates with me. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Sure and steadfast. I can feel myself solid as I'm reading it. Firm and secure, it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. What Jesus has accomplished on our behalf is to give us that access into the very throne room of God. We can do that through prayer, but we know that we'll be able to do that in person someday. What an incredible thought that there will come a day where we will stand before God. I don't know about you, that both gives me joy and scares me at the same time. The creator of all the universe, I will stand there on my own and have to give an account for my life. My goodness, that's the scary part. But we will see him. And this theme of, East, this theme of resurrection isn't just limited to Easter. I've been speaking over the last few weeks about uh, different miracles that happened, like the, the boy uh, who was raised back to life by Elijah, a miracle that pointed towards an even greater miracle, the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just that. There are other miracles as well. 
we can think about Jairus' daughter, okay? This was a girl who had died, and Jesus raised her back to life again. And it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 55, her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. When Jesus said to the people who were around, the mourners who were really upset, and they were making a big noise about it, Jesus says to them, you need to calm down, be quiet. He said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And everybody laughed at Jesus. But Jesus brought this girl back to life again. This is what he said. He says, she's not dead, but she's asleep. And Jesus brought her back to life again. Now, one example of resurrection, one example of a miracle in the New Testament, and we can think, well, maybe she was just asleep. Well, there's another story in the New Testament, and it's the story of the son of the widow at Nain. Now, there was no opportunity to think anything different because the funeral cortege was in motion. And Jesus came along, and it says that he touched the coffin, and the funeral cortege stopped. He had compassion on the woman in this situation. And it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 15, the dead boy sat up and spoke. And everybody was amazed at what had happened. And as if that was not enough to convince us that resurrection is more than just about Easter, there's the story of Lazarus himself. You remember the story, I'm hoping. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, not only was he dead, but he was also buried. He'd been buried for four days. And then Lazarus was raised to life again. John chapter 11 verse 44 says this, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Many different examples of miracles in relation to the resurrection of the physical human body. But then the greatest miracle of all is Jesus himself. You see, if you think about all these people that we've talked about, Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow at Nain, Lazarus, each of these people had to go through the same thing again. And I find it really interesting, the Bible never talks about what happened to them in that in-between state. I just think that's interesting, just an observation, throwing that one in. But the most significant resurrection account is the one of Jesus himself. He was raised to life, never to die again. One person died once and for all for each of us that we might live as well. And I don't know if you think about this. Maybe there are people joining in today, maybe online. I don't know where everybody's at here. I'm assuming that you all believe in the resurrection But one of the things that we think about in a courtroom setting is the different types of evidence that can be given in respect to somebody's guilt or innocence. And I wonder if we applied the same principles to the story of the resurrection of Jesus, I wonder what we would find. There are four different types, well, five different types, sorry, of of evidence that are used in a courtroom situation. Tangible evidence, oral testimony, witness statements, documentary evidence, and hearsay evidence. Five different types of evidence that would be used in a court to establish somebody's guilt or innocence. I wonder if we applied those principles to the resurrection, what we would find. And one of the most tangible pieces of evidence at the time was the empty tomb. It was only 50 days after Passover. The the, the, the celebration is Pentecost. 
120 people are in an upper room. They're scared stiff. They're hiding away from the, the, the people because they're, they're scared of the Jews. And the Holy Spirit came and did something miraculous in them. They were filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them that ability. And the people who were there to celebrate Pentecost heard the incredible wonders of God shared in their own languages. And they were amazed and on that day, it says that 3,000 people were added to the church. As you go on in the book of Acts, the number bumps up to 5,000. As you go on again, the church has not only been added to day by day, the church is beginning to multiply. And at that point in time, where this, there is this explosive growth in the church, there was the opportunity to contest the empty tomb. But nobody did the Jewish leaders didn't, and the Romans didn't. Nobody contested it, despite the fact that the church was growing rapidly. And we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Why was the empty tomb never contested, either by the Jews or by the Romans? And I thought today we'd just pause for a second and show a short video. It's from a, a video series called NUA, N-U-A. You can find it on Right Now Media. You can also find it on the Scripture Union website. If you're not signed up to Right Now Media, you still can be. Uh, just let me know. Um, but this video talks about the empty tomb, and I hope you enjoy this video. We're going to watch that video just now. What it was like the days after Jesus had died? From what we do know, it was Passover, a Jewish religious festival. The streets would have been packed with Jewish men, women, and children. The Roman government and the Jewish authorities, they're happy because they've gotten rid of Jesus. While Jerusalem celebrates, however, there's this small group of heartbroken Jesus followers who have lost their leader, their mentor, and their friend. Though many refer to the 12 disciples, his following was much broader and included many women who played a large role in his ministry. The women who followed Jesus, they reacted by going out to Jesus' tomb, which many believed to be this very one, and they went there on the Sunday morning. When they get there, however, they find something that they did not expect. The large stone that had once covered the tomb had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. The women at the tomb claimed that they met an angel who told them that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, even claims to have met Jesus on that very day. When the disciples heard, they ran to the tomb and they also found it empty. Now, we can't verify their claims or their experiences, but we can wrestle with the empty tomb. What possible reasons could there be for it to be empty? The Romans had heard Jesus' predictions that he would rise from the dead after three days. And though they didn't take them too seriously, they did put some things in place. To prevent this, they covered the grave with a massive stone, sealed it, and had it guarded by Roman soldiers. So if someone could overcome the guards and move the stone, who would want to? What about the Romans themselves? Maybe it was an inside job. They were the ones that posted the extra guards, so they were technically in control of the body and they could have done anything with it. 
But what would have been their main goal in tampering with Jesus' body? They had already proved their power in killing Jesus and they just wanted him to stay dead and buried. Maybe the Jewish authorities took it. Possible, but again it would be hard to understand why. They were more than happy to have the tomb heavily guarded by the Romans. Also, their plan was to prove that Jesus was just a man and not the Son of God. Jesus remaining cold and dead was the only way that their involvement in Jesus' crucifixion could be justified. And here's the crux of it for me. If either of these two powerful groups had taken the body of Jesus for some unknown reason, they would have been quick to produce it as soon as Jesus' followers had started claiming that he had risen from the dead. And Christianity would never have gotten off the ground. Or maybe it's worth asking, is the resurrection story just made up? Maybe it was an afterthought by the disciples. Like what if we could get the gospel writer Matthew and interrogate him like this? How does facts hold up? How does story hold true? Of course we can never know, but if Matthew is trying to mislead a group of people and pass off fiction as history, I suggest he makes two huge mistakes. Firstly, he says that Pontius Pilate, a well-known figure at the time, gave permission for Jesus to be buried and instructed guards to watch over it. If the resurrection narrative was just fiction, it would have been incredibly easy for anyone to speak out against it. Yet no one ever argued with the details found in Matthew's Gospel. He even goes on to say that this event happened in the tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph, or any of his surviving family, could have easily have nipped this story in the bud if it was simply made up. Secondly, and sadly, the first century was a very different world. Equal rights weren't even on the horizon. A woman's eyewitness testimony wasn't even considered valid unless it was backed up by a man. Yet it's recorded that women were the first to meet the resurrected Jesus. If you're making up a story, you don't choose legally unreliable witnesses as your primary source unless that's the way it actually happened. What an interesting video, eh? Um, just some of the points that he makes in there I, f- I found quite compelling. If you watch that whole episode, um, it goes into the whole story of the resurrection and just arguments for and against, but mostly for. And so we have this, uh, sorry, we have this um, tangible evidence of an empty tomb, which was able to be contested at the time and nobody did. If we think just for a little second about oral testimony, One of the core messages of the early church was the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what was preached. If you read the book of Acts, like Peter on that day, where he spoke to all these thousands of people, and 3,000 were added to the church that day. As well as explaining what had happened, he spoke about uh, all the things in relation to Jesus, including his resurrection. This is what it says in Acts 2.32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. You know, here we are 2,000 years later, and we can't actually, we can't physically prove anything, 
But here are the people who wrote down the accounts, who were the eyewitnesses who saw these things for themselves. The apostles were eyewitnesses to all that they saw, and they wrote these things down. I am so glad that Paul was put in prison because he had the opportunity, because of that, to write 13 of these books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John also wrote the Gospels. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And we have all this evidence which I would like to suggest are almost like witness statements. <clears throat> and in the passage that Bet read out this morning, Paul refers, uh, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, to the people who saw Jesus alive. Most of them are still living. So the people that, thought that Jesus had appeared to were still alive when Paul was writing this letter. And anybody could have went and asked a question. I'm trying to establish the fact that there's so much evidence for the resurrection that you'd be crazy not to think seriously about it. And then lastly, we have this documentary evidence. And if you look in this newer series, there is a short video which looks at the authority of the Bible, especially the New Testament, which is one of the most, is the most reliable of ancient writings you can ever find, more reliable than anything else that we find out about history. It's more reliable. And we've talked about that in church before, but the newer series uh, articulates it really well. And you can also find it in a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, a great book if you want to study these types of things, if you want to look at evidence. And then Luke, he said himself, he wrote the, the book of Luke, he also wrote Acts. This is what he says, uh, and in the opening of Luke uh, chapter 1, he says, So many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of Scripture and history that took place among us, using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served this word with their very lives. These aren't people who were half-hearted about their faith. These were people who served Jesus wholeheartedly. They'd been with him. They'd watched him die. They'd been witnesses to his resurrection, and they were absolutely convinced, and they were 100% for him. And then Luke goes on to say, since I have investigated all the reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning, I decided to write it all out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. Luke has carefully investigated everything. I don't know many doctors, if I'm being honest. I do have a friend who's a doctor. He's also a minister, and I know the way his mind works. He studies everything. He drills down into all the details. And when he's preaching, he uses alliteration all the time. It's just fascinating to see the way his mind works. And here's Luke, a doctor in his time, carefully investigating everything, drilling down into all the detail and coming up with this account and the book of Acts, which he was an eyewitness to as well. If you read the book of Acts, it will go into first person sometimes. And he talks about how we went here and we did this and we did that. And in this book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, there's a man called J.N.D. Anderson, a lawyer and professor of Oriental Law at the University of London. And this is what he says. Have you noticed that the references to the empty tomb all come in the Gospels? which are written to give Christians, uh, the Christian community, the facts that they wanted to know. The church had been exploding in growth, 
And in order to get people the information they needed, these gospel accounts were written and shared round the churches. And he goes on to say, and the public preaching to those who were not believers, as recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, there is an enormous emphasis on the fact of the resurrection, but not a single reference to the empty tomb. Now, why? And he goes on to say, to me, there is only one answer. There was no point in arguing about the empty tomb. Everyone, friend or opponent, knew that it was empty. There's no point in discussing that. The evidence is there. The tomb is empty. Where's his body? He is not here. He has risen. And I just think it's a fantastic observation of this tangible evidence at the time that the tomb that Jesus had been in was empty. The grave clothes had been left. People had been there to see him first thing in the morning. I was up very early this morning. I got a feel for what it must have been like for these people as they went to the tomb early in the morning. We don't think about the gospel in outside terms of the Easter Sunday story in outside terms. I, can I challenge you to get outside at sunrise next Easter? Let's not wait till next. Do it next weekend and you'll get a feel for it. What it's like being outside and feeling the, the, the elements on your face. It's very real. And they got there and Jesus wasn't there. There was angels who had said to the women, he's not here, he's risen. And why is this important? And I think this is the crux for me. And it all boils down to this. No matter what happens to us as Christians, we can keep coming back to this wonderful fact of history, the resurrection of Jesus it's this reality that allows us to affirm that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. Powerful, powerful stuff. And to come back to that scripture again that I shared from Hebrews, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. It's talking about heaven, the very presence of God in heaven. And Jesus said to his disciples, and for me it is such a massive encouragement when we're in the middle of trouble, trials, and adversity, because I live, you also will live. John chapter 14, verse 9. Because I live, you also will live. Do you know, I don't know about you, as a child, the concept of eternity used to freak me out. I was trying to get my head, just as a wee boy is still in single digits in terms of age, I'm trying to get my head around eternity, that something will ever go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Do you know, do you get what I'm saying now? I'm my tiny little brain was trying to grasp this concept of eternity. And if I'm being totally honest, it quite, I found it quite scary. I'm like, I can't, I can't even imagine what that's like, to live forever. But as I get older, I think, wow, wow. That's what Jesus promises us, eternal life. He promises us a new creation, a resurrected body, life with him in his presence forever. And if you were tuned in this morning, one of the things that we shared about is that we will be free 
from the presence of sin. A world where there is no more grief, no more death, no more dying, no more corruption, no more bad, bad things happening to us. That's what Jesus promises us. And this is what John says, and he spells it out for us. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's our hope as Christians, is that we have an eternal life. And that life starts now, and it will take us on beyond this natural body. You can be a Christian, but not living in the reality of that eternal life day by day. And as we thought about in the sunrise reflection this morning, there were three points, and I'm just going to reiterate them. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. It's, it's gone and dealt with. Your sins are forgiven, covered, your account settled. You've been saved, you are being saved, sorry, from the, the power of sin. We don't need to give into it anymore, but you will be saved from the presence of sin. There will come a day where everything will be made new, a new heaven, a new earth. And the question I want to ask is, are you, as a Christian, living free from the power of sin in your life? Are you living in that victory day by day? If you're not, and we all sin and none of us are sinless, but we should be getting to that place where we sin less, if you get what I'm saying, where we, re, where we experience the, the reality of Jesus in our lives day by day. And when our love for him overtakes every other thing, incredible. Do we love him so much? One of the sins of the Israelites was that they, they committed the sin of idolatry. It's when they loved something more than they loved God, if we're loving something more than we love God, then it's idolatry and God doesn't like it. But he gives us the power to overcome these things. His Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to do that. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Today can be the day where you invite him in, where the Holy Spirit comes in and you experience that resurrection life, that new life. I first did that when I was six years old, I heard this story about Jesus and responded to the story about Jesus. And some of you are probably saying, I know that story because you've told it so many times. Yeah, I, yeah, the, the heads are nodding. So I'm going to tell you again. <laughs> six years old, Sunday night, I remember getting out of my bed, kneeling by my bedside, the moon shining in the window, realizing that Jesus had died for me to set me free, to give me new life. And I remember praying that prayer and asking him to forgive me at six for all those horrible things that I'd done. I can't even remember what I'd done at six. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I got up to mischief even at that age. And inviting God into my life. And there have been, ex there've, there've been times since that where I've had to come back to God and invite God into my life afresh again. There's been a few occasions where, it, you, you know, as a young person, you just need to keep coming back to that and saying, actually, I've messed up. I'm coming back again. And, and please forgive me and, and please accept me um, and give me the strength to overcome. And, and we, we, we wrestle with these things. 
But that was the moment where the Holy Spirit came in. And there's children and young people in here today. You can invite Jesus into your heart. If you've never done that, you can do that today as well. Maybe some who are joining online, you can do that. You can invite Jesus into your life today. I want to encourage us all to invite the Holy Spirit in day by day. If you're a Christian, then can I encourage you? Something I was reading in the Psalms, Psalm 88, uh, even just this morning, about how the psalmist comes before his God every day with open hands and just is looking for God's presence, is inviting God's presence. And can I encourage you to do that every single day? Come, Holy Spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. Give me the strength to overcome today all the, the trials and temptations, all the things that are likely to trip me up. Come, Holy Spirit. Show me. Give me the power and the strength to overcome day by day, morning by morning, moment by moment. And you can do that. You can invite God in. I, I just want to encourage us on this Easter Sunday. It's all there for us. The power that we need is there for us. The power to overcome sin. It's all there for us. We just need to grasp hold of that power and apply it to our lives. Let's just pray as we finish off today. Father, we just thank you for this Easter Sunday. Father, this day where we think about the resurrection of Jesus. Father, we thank you that it is this great fact of history. Father, there is so much evidence that surrounds it that even those who've went out of their way to disprove it have been turned around and, Father, have become Jesus' followers. Father, help us to grasp hold of the reality of the Resurrection Sunday, to know that because He lives, we too can live, and that Your Holy Spirit empowers us to live in the way that You want to. And so, Father, we just invite You in. Come, Holy Spirit, into our lives today. Fill us afresh. Fill us anew that we might know Your presence. And Father, I just pray for each family that's represented in here today or online. Father, the families of our church, but Father, beyond that into our community as well. Father, we pray blessing upon us, blessing upon the work of our hands, blessing upon our rest time, blessing upon our holiday time. And Father, we just pray that we would know your presence in all of these different ways. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to just invite you to do that, to pray a simple little prayer after me today. You don't need to say it out loud. You can say it into your own heart. But if you're serious about that and inviting God into your life, then he will come in. He will only come in by invitation. So let's say that little prayer. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died on the cross for me to forgive my sin to make me clean, to give me a fresh start. And I ask that you would come into my life through your Holy Spirit and make me new. Give me strength to live your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, let me know that you've prayed that prayer because I want to help you and encourage you to, to really find more find out more about God for yourself and we do have some information so we're almost finished I'm going to do one last thing before I pray and uh, pray the benediction over us uh, I do need to take a photograph sorry everyone uh, this is part of what we need to do nice to see you too Josh okay and I just need to remember not to move the camera while I'm taking the photograph you think a photographer should know that eh? 
But thank you for coming, everyone. I just hope that you have a, a fantastic rest of the weekend. If you've got time off, enjoy that time. Enjoy time uh, with family, whatever you're doing. I know it's not going to be the same as we would normally do, um, but it's just great to be together. And uh, just keep getting booked in for Sunday. It's good for us to know who needs to be here, who wants to be here. And uh, we can then begin to have a, a chat about how we facilitate helping you to be in church. Let's just say one last prayer as we finish today. Father, we just thank you for your grace, for your goodness. Father, we just pray that you'd help us to know your favor in our lives. Uh, day by day, Lord, as we go into this week, Lord, you know the needs that we have. We pray that you'd come into the, every situation and that you would meet those needs. May we know your presence in such incredible ways. Father, we thank you for answers to prayers. We thank you for the things that we've seen happening as we've been praying about them. And Lord, we just ask that we would see more and more of the things that you want to do in our lives at work in us day by day. So, Father, I just pray blessing over this congregation, whether joined online or in person. And, uh, Lord, we just pray a blessing on the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. And great to see you. And great to see everyone who's online, too.